0: First of all, I just want to say thank you to all of you that are here today, and thank you to everyone joining us online. It's always a joy to see your faces here on Sunday. So the last couple of weeks, Charles has spoken to us about being thankful, and Brian spoke to us about being thankful for communion today. So we're going to continue with that idea today with the sermon. We'll be in Philippians two, fourteen through 15 as our primary scripture All the scriptures today will be out of the New American Standard Bible. So while you guys are turning there, let's just open in prayer. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day that you've given us. I just ask that you would help us rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, as we gather together today, I just ask that you would bless this time we have together. Just help us to grow deeper in our knowledge, understanding, and our love for you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So once again, Philippians 2, 14 through 15, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. So grumbling is kind of an interesting word. It actually, it sounds kind of funny when you say it repeatedly. If you say grumble, 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 it sounds really funny. So everybody try it. Grumble, 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 grumble. It sounds kind of funny. Grumbling actually is nothing more than a placeholder for the word complain. If you look up grumble in the dictionary, it says to complain. What does to complain mean? It means to voice dissatisfaction with current circumstances. It's something that even though oftentimes we're put off by it when other people do it, it's so easy for us to fall into that. It's so natural for us to grumble when things don't go our way. It's something that as we grumble, it becomes easier to grumble and grumble and grumble about thing after thing after thing. Eventually getting to a point where perhaps we're even grumbling about very mundane things that don't even really matter in life. The story of the Israelites wandering through the wilderness is a perfect example of this. It's just a little background. The Israelites had been enslaved for over 400 years in Egypt. God performed many miracles through the plagues that he brought upon Egypt before they were released from captivity. Yet it was only after about three days of them being released from captivity, they started to grumble. They said, Moses... We're thirsty. Moses, we're hungry. Moses, who put you in charge anyway? Moses, we're thirsty again. God provided for all their needs, time after time after time. Yet they grumbled. You see, God parted the Red Sea. He provided, what is it? Manna. That's what manna means. Thank you, Larry. Thank you. (laughs) He provided manna for them. Uh, God gave them water out of a rock, all while guiding them through the wilderness. He guided them as a cloud during the day. And at night, he guided them as a pillar of fire. Just think about that. A pillar of fire at night. Yet through all of this, they grumbled. God gave them everything they needed, and they grumbled we only have record of their major complaints. How many smaller, unnecessary, and mundane things did they complain about? Anyone of you who have ever been in leadership know that part of leadership is putting out all those very small little wildfires that are started by your subordinates as they start to complain and whine because things don't go their way or things are difficult. Israelites definitely kept Moses busy with this aspect of being a leader. Some even described the Israelites as having spiritual amnesia, forgetting all the things God had given them. When you begin to grumble, it takes you down a path of negativity. You set down a course which is very hard to turn away from at times. I borrowed a couple of stories from the Associated Press about the negative impact grumbling can have on your life. And go figure, they're law enforcement related. (laughs) The first one says, A man who robbed a Wendy's in Atlanta was so put off by his skimpy haul that he called the restaurant twice to voice his disapproval of how much he had stolen from them. (laughs) That's better than what police say Arthur Bundridge did. Bundridge approached a Syracuse, New York bank teller and demanded $20,000. When he got home, he discovered he'd been shortchanged. He was so outraged, he stormed back to the bank to tell them what he thought of their service. That's when he was arrested. So grumbling in these situations... Had very dire circumstances had very dire consequences they were unhappy and they had consequences psalm 103 verses 2 through 4 says bless the lord O my soul and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquity who heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy You see, everything we have in life has been given to us by God. For us to grumble because of X, Y, or Z, just because we're not happy, because of our own selfishness, It's a disservice to God and His love and His grace for us. We we must learn to appreciate all the things He's given us. There's a Jewish story that reads as follows. A poor man lived with his wife and his six children in a very small one-room house. They were always getting in each other's way, and there was little space. They couldn't barely even breathe. Finally, the man could stand it no more. He talked to his wife and asked her what he should do. She said, go see the rabbi. So the poor man went to the rabbi and told him how miserable things were at his house. With his wife and his six children all eating and living, sleeping in one room. The poor man told the rabbi, We're even starting to yell and fight with each other. Life couldn't be any worse. The rabbi thought very deeply about the poor man's problem. Then he said, Do exactly as I tell you, and things will get better. Do you promise? I promise, the poor man said. The rabbi then asked the poor man a strange question. Do you own any animals? Yes, he said. I have one cow, one goat, and some chickens. Good, the rabbi said. When you get home, take all the animals into your house to live with you. The poor man was astonished to hear this advice from the rabbi. but He had promised to do exactly what the rabbi said. So he went home, took all the farm animals into the tiny one-room house. The next day, the poor man ran back to see the rabbi. He said, What have you done to me, rabbi? It's awful. I did what you told me and the animals are all over the house. Rabbi, please, please help me. The rabbi listened and said calmly, Now go home. Take the chickens back outside. The poor man did as the rabbi said but hurried back again the next day. The chickens are gone. But Rabbi, the goat, the goat, he's smashing up all the furniture and eating everything in sight. The good rabbi said, Go home and remove the goat, and may God bless you. So the poor man went home, took the goat outside, but he immediately ran back again to the rabbi, crying and wailing. He said, What a nightmare you have brought to my house, Rabbi! With the cow, it's like living in a stable. Can human beings live with an animal like this? The rabbi said sweetly, My friend, you are right. May God bless you. Go home and take the cow out of your house. The poor man went quickly home and took the cow out of the house. The next day, he came running back to the rabbi again. Oh, rabbi, he said with a big smile on his face. We have such a good life now. The animals are all out of the house. The house is so quiet. And we've got room to spare. What a joy it is. You see, all it took was a change of perspective for this poor man and his family. A change of perspective for them to appreciate God's provisions for them, his blessings for them. A change of perspective for them to truly be happy. You see, they had begun the course of grumbling. They'd set foot down a path which could potentially drag them deeper and deeper to put a pit of despair full of depression and negativity. A recent study by the Stanford University describes the effects grumbling has on your brain. When one begins to complain or grumble, it actually creates a bridge between the synapses in your brain. Meaning that next time you're presented with uncomfortable circumstances, it's much easier for you to complain. Complaining or grumbling also releases cortisol into your body, a hormone, which is responsible for the fight or flight response. This causes elevated heart rate, elevated blood pressure. It's been known to cause diabetes and obesity, which in turn could cause heart problems. Another effect of grumbling is it causes the hippocampus within the brain to actually shrink. This is the portion of the brain responsible for critical thinking or problem solving. Meaning that next time, all you're going to do, instead of finding a solution, is grumble or complain. You see, beginning a life of grumbling, goes so far as creating damage to your brain. Influencing not just yourself, but everyone around you. It's contagious. It can set you and your loved ones on a path of an unpleasant life and continual discontent. So this next illustration I have for you guys is one that a lot of you have heard before. I've shared it as part of communion meditation before, and I share it every single year at youth camp on the first morning. This story is about me growing up when I was in high school. Many of you know my dad, and you know that he was in the oil field. He used to wake up at about 4 a.m. every day. Well, I'd get up, I'd get ready for school. He's already had, you know, his morning Bible study, prayed. He's had his coffee, and he's probably starting a bowl of oatmeal by the time I would get down there. I don't like oatmeal. Unless it's, you know, the little package of, like, the maple and brown sugar with the dinosaur eggs. As you stir it, it turns into dinosaurs. I like that one. But anyway, I don't like oatmeal. So every morning I'd ask my dad, how's your oatmeal? He'd say, uh, oh, good. Until one day. One day his response changed. I don't know if it was because of his Bible study that morning. I don't know if it's because of a sermon he heard. I don't know. I don't know what made him change. But One morning when I asked him, how's your oatmeal? He smiled and he said, this is the best bowl of oatmeal I've ever had. This is the best day I've ever had. This is the best cup of coffee I've ever had. I just kind of looked at him. I rolled my eyes and thought, man, you're crazy. I don't know what's wrong with you. But he could continue to do this. We'd go hunting. We'd have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. He'd say, this is the best peanut butter and jelly sandwich I've ever had. This is the best hike I've ever been on. This is the best day of hunting I've ever had. We might not see anything, and he'd still say that. He was going crazy, I thought. Eventually, after a couple months, he put a personalized license plate in all capital letters. that said THR space PLG. Once again, being in the oil field, a lot of people thought that meant something having to do with the oil field, you know, through plumbing, threaded plugs, something to that effect. When they would ask him, he would simply just smile and say, no, it's a reminder to myself. Reminder of Philippians 4.8. It says, Whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good repute, if there is any excellence or anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. May the God of peace be with you. Hearing my dad tell this to people caused me to finally understand. You see, my dad. For whatever reason, I decided to change his perspective on life. He decided to dwell on those things listed in Philippians 4.8, where it was true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good repute. This caused a change in him, an overabundance of joy. And other people saw this light in him. They wanted to know what it was. It gave him the opportunity to share Jesus with others. It was this change of perspective that changed not only his life, but my life, his family's life, the life of those around him. Benjamin Franklin once said, the sentence which has most influenced my life is, some persons grumble because God placed thorns among roses. Why not thank God instead because he placed roses among thorns. Once again, remembering to dwell on the things that are true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good repute will set you down a path to change your perspective of life, unleashing a life of gratitude for the things God has done for you, for the things he has provided for you, and allowing others to see the light shine in you. Philippians 4, 11 through 13, we see where Paul speaks of learning to be content in every situation. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry both of having abundance and a suffering need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See, by changing our perspective, learning to focus on God and what he wants from us, learning to serve God, learning to focus on the needs of others around us, it will turn away our selfish desires. It'll help us to once again live a life of happiness. Looking back to Philippians two fifteen, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. When we give up our grumbling and begin to unleash a life of gratitude in everything we do, once again, this is contagious. A light begins to shine through us, shine into the darkness. And others want that. It gives us the opportunity to share Jesus with them. Daniel 6.5 says, Then these men said, We will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Charles spoke a little bit last week about Daniel and how he gave thanks to God even in difficult times. Daniel lived a life that was blameless among sinful people. He was enslaved and made to serve the king. He had every reason to complain and be dissatisfied. He was forced to serve the king, but yet he continued to be faithful to God through all of this, knowing that his service to God was what truly mattered. Daniel knew that his life was to be lived for God above all else. He rejected to eat the king's food. He interpreted dreams for the king, prayed when it was illegal, and was thrown into a lion's den. He had every, every reason to grumble. Yet through all of this, he thanked and he praised God. Daniel 2, 22 through 23 says, "'It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things,' He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what we requested of you. For you have made known to us the king's matters. Once again, Daniel knew it's about so much more than himself. And he knew he was nothing without God. So I shared a quote from Benjamin Franklin earlier. For those of you that don't know, I love quotes, especially quotes by historical figures. I just think that they're wonderful. and I want to share another quote with you. This quote is one that I like so much that when I found it written on a fortune cookie at Hibachi Grill, I put it in my wallet as a constant reminder. So it's a quote by Albert Einstein, one of perhaps the most brilliant minds to have graced our history. It reads as follows Only a life lived for others is a life lived worthwhile. When we begin to reflect our attention towards serving God, and towards the needs of those around us, our troubles seem to go away. Our reasons to grumble seem to disappear. Matthew 20. 24 through 28, we see where Jesus is responding to the disciples and the mother of Zebedee after she asks that James and John be at the right and the left hand of Jesus in heaven. Verse 24 and following reads as such. In hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. It's very humbling to think about. Jesus, the Son of God, our Lord and Savior, says he came not to be served, to serve, to give his life as a ransom. He came to serve. So following his footsteps, how humbling it is to think that we too can serve others. Philippians 2, verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another is more important than yourselves. You see, as we begin to take our focus off of ourselves and our own desires, places on God, the needs of those around us, when we unleash a life of gratitude, we begin to realize how little and small our problems are. As the praise team comes forward, I want to finish by reading you a story that I found in the magazine The Briefing. The briefing went out of publication in 2014, but I was able to still find this story online. It reads as follows. The story has been passed on to me second or third or possibly even fifth hand. Who knows how accurate the details are or whether the words were spoken exactly in this way. But from my knowledge of the man in question, it is entirely believable. In fact, if it isn't true, the kind of story that would almost have to be invented. An eminent and well-known English preacher was approached by a congregation member. The congregation member complained about some aspect of church. It may have been that he didn't feel welcomed, that he was finding it hard to make friends and fit in. It could have been that he was finding the service dissatisfying or the preaching too long. It could have been that the music was not to his taste or that his family was not being catered for to his satisfaction. The details of the complaint have been lost in the telling and retelling of the story. The preacher listened to the complaint, paused, then replied with five words that cut straight to the heart, not only the man's problem, but the problem with all grumbling and complaining in the church. He simply said, it is not about you. And he walked off. It was a stunningly almost rude response, the kind that this preacher seemed uniquely capable of getting away with in his very English way. But doesn't it exactly express what's wrong with grumbling and complaining in the church? It really is the height of idiocy to think that the church is about me and my needs and my family and my satisfaction. It completely overturns the teaching of the Bible that church is about God and Christ and loving other people. In fact, if we wanted to summarize Paul's rebuke to the dysfunctional Corinthian church in First Corinthians, a pre-reasonable response would be: it is not about you. So the next time you're feeling grumpy about church, you're complaining about this or about that aspect it leaves you cold just remind yourself of this five word response and answer to grumbling and if you're really game when someone else starts to grumble and complain look at them incredulous